Shall we pray together? Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity of celebrating all your goodness to us. We recognize that you've given everything to us that we have, and there is nothing that we have of our own, but you've provided everything. We thank you even the bread that we ate this morning and the cereals that we devoured came because you, by your grace, have allowed the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. Father, we can claim nothing of our own, and therefore, Father, it's a great joy this morning to be able to talk on the wonderful subject of giving. And I want to pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you will really convict our hearts and show us the way ahead. Oh, Father, we long to give our, all of ourselves to you, our everything to you. And, Father, we know that it begins with money, really. Father, please convict us and allow me to get the right balance, Lord. Father, so that we might be really challenged but put under no pressure whatsoever. I ask that in your wonderful name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we come this morning to the second of the two talks I'm giving on the subject of giving. And those of you who were there last week when I began this marvellous topic will already understand some of the principles involved with giving. You remember last week that I actually said that fellowships generally fall into one of two camps. You've got those who emphasise giving. They're the ones actually who I think should spell their, their names fellowship with two pound signs in the middle. You know, F-E pound pound O-W. You know, and um, they really concentrate on giving. In some of those groups, every uh, service that you go to has a section where there is a, a time for you to give. Some of them have the box at the front and everyone has to come out and put their money in the box or a clothes peg uh, basket is handle, handed round or a bucket or something and you all have the opportunity to give into that. Some of them actually insist that any person who wants to join them actually shows them their bank account, shows how much money is going in and they do a quick calculation, the elders do this, quick calculation and one-tenth of that has to go directly to the church and they insist upon it, you're not a member unless you do that. Now they're the hardliners. On the other hand you get the ethereal beings among the fellowships and they think you should never ever ever speak about money or about giving and they float all above that type of level. Now, both of those are entirely wrong. Those who actually concentrate too much on giving are guilty very often of fleecing the children of God, taking far too much money, putting them under far too much strain. And actually, as I said last week, that's the quickest way to religion. If you want your fellowship to turn into a denomination and into a fixed church, then in fact that's the quickest way for you to do it. On the other hand, the other side is also wrong those who never speak about giving. They actually um, are denying the children of God teaching on the subject of giving. And many, many Christians are actually totally untaught in giving simply because no one will ever bring up such a fleshly subject. Now that's wrong. And, and the trouble with the second lot is the whole work of God is sometimes held up because they haven't been taught how to give. The Bible emphasises giving. It's part of your responsibility as a Christian to give. And although there are many ways in which you give, and I've outlined some of them on earlier fellowship talks, haven't I, on community and commune and talks like that, how you give your time, your efforts, your talents and so on, the Bible concentrates on the giving of money. And do you know why it does that? Because money is considered in God terms, God's terms the least of anything. Absolutely the least. And therefore, God says, well, if you can't be faithful in that which is the least, 
you'll never be faithful in that which is the most. And that's the principle that God puts in his word. Trouble is, with fallen man, we think money is terribly important. Well, I'll tell you this, it's not all that important. When you reach heaven, there's no such thing as money anyway, praise God. It's all free up there, which is lovely, by his provision, by his, his grace. However, we've got to realize this, that in the area of money and in the area of business, Satan is in for the attack. I consider that more Christians are attacked in the area of business and in the area of money than probably anything else in their lives. I have known some most awful situations. I was involved once in a company up in the Lake District where the whole of the board of directors were Christians. It was an absolute disaster. It was bitter. It was a, a real war went on in every single meeting that they had. These Christians against Christians, against other Christians. And the whole firm finally not only declined, but these people became out of fellowship with one another. You know, simply because Satan moves in where Christians try to go into business. And that is why we must understand that wherever we're talking about business or money, Satan is prowling round like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And every person who is in business, you must make sure the devil does not get in. Those of us who've had dealings with Christian firms know that it's all too easy for the devil to get in. And we must make sure that we get through this faith barrier, this barrier of attack from the enemy, into the place where businesses are prosperous and where they give us the best service. But there is a fight, and there's always a stage during which there will be a fight to come into prosperity, you know? I suppose the attacks are, firstly, well, they're, they're twofold, I suppose. Those who run businesses very often... Uh, treat Christians in a wrong attitude. They're dealing with non-Christians and Christians, so they think, oh, well, the non-Christian's going to get angry if I don't do this or if I don't make sure that's done. But the Christian brother, well, he'll wait. You know, the fruit of the Spirit uh, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. So he'll wait. So I'll put him off, and um, I'll only do half the job as far as he's concerned, and he'll have to forgive me, otherwise he's out of fellowship. Now, <laughs> that's wrong. And in fact, that comes under the heading of the ether with the false bottom. A few years ago, I did a, a tape. Is it available, Keith, on Thou Shalt Not Steal? And um, in that, I outlined the principle of the ether with the false bottom. You go for full measure and you only get half measure. Now, those of you in Christian businesses must make sure that you pray and stop Satan from robbing those people who come to you as customers. The devil's involved in this. Now, you must stand fast with the Christian customers and really claim fullness for them. On the other hand, however, Christian customers are more often at fault than the Christian businessmen. One thing that frequently happens, well, two things that frequently happen, and they're dreadful, is this. A, people are cavalier in their attitude to appointments among Christian businesses. We have certain businesses in our fellowship where you have to make an appointment to go and see someone. And very often I hear the complaint, oh, they just didn't bother to let, to let us know. They didn't even bother to ring up. They just didn't turn up. No, my advice to those businesses, I always say, drop them like hotcakes. Tell them you won't have any dealings with them again, even though they're Christians. That's too cavalier. And in the world, you'd be charged for that. Well, I think Christian businesses should charge for that. That would pull some Christians up. However, the worst one of all is bad payment. Many Christians are awful at this. Let me show you what the Bible says about bad payment, shall I? Just quickly. In Leviticus chapter 19, 
and verse 13. This is the word of the Lord. And what this says is, if you are actually receiving a service from some Christian businessman, you must pay the bill as soon as he has finished the work. And don't delay at all. That's the word of the Lord. Look what it says in verse 13. This is Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 13. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbour, it says. Neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. And what it's saying is, if you ask someone to do a job for you, you pay them as soon as the job is finished. Do you know what often happens among Christians? Oh, well, the person that's had the job done suddenly finds, oh, they haven't got enough money to pay the bill. They thought they might have, but they have ended up not having it. Well, they can't pay the bill, they're going to be overdrawn. The trouble is, by not paying the bill, the person who's done the work is overdrawn. That's daylight robbery. And in fact, you benefit double. You get the work done and you haven't paid. And the other person is double disadvantaged. He's done, he's done the work for you and he's not been paid at the end. You are actually guilty before the Lord of daylight robbery. And by the way, God who is not a man's debtor, but neither will he be taken in by that. He will actually get every penny plus more from you in the end. We must make sure if we have any job done, even if it means going into the red ourselves, we pay on the button. Now, I'm just outlining these things again because it's some years before I went over these principles, but they're terribly important. As soon as the job is finished, you get your checkbook out and write a check. That's the important thing. Otherwise, don't have the work done. All right, now, that's just a, a little bit thrown in, no extra charge for that little section. Last time, we saw the principle of tithing, and if you remember, we saw that tithing was simply the means of taxation in the Old Testament. Some people say the means of giving in the Old Testament was tithing. Hooey! It's nonsense. You don't find that anywhere in Scripture. That was the system of, tithe, uh, of taxation. And we as Christians, by the way, tithe in this sense that we must pay our taxes. But having paid your taxes, and in the Old Testament having, having tithe, then you came into the realm of giving to God. The system of giving in the Old Testament was not tithing. The system was, as God has blessed you, and as you want to give, so give. And in the New Testament, that's exactly the same principle. As you want to give, and as God has blessed you, then give. But it's up to you, and it's between you and the Lord, as to how you give. This is a very important thing. And we must all make the decision in our own hearts as to how much we are to give. Some people like to give a fixed percentage. That's all right. But whatever percentage you decide upon, don't try and impose it on other people. Some people are ever so self-righteous. Oh, I give a tenth of my income. And many of those people are actually defrauding God. They should be giving much more than the tenth of their income. And there they are, sitting there, all self-righteous, pristine saints on this alabaster pillar. You see, Victoriana creeping into this study. And they're feeling ever so self-righteous. And God is simply saying, with the amount of money you earn, a tenth, that's measly. On the other hand, there are people who should not be giving a tenth. And there is no fixed rule. Every one of us is individual. This is why in the New Testament, in the book of Acts and in the epistles written to Christians, there is not one mention of tithing 
anywhere. That is not the system of giving. Paul would have found it so easy to mention it. Luke in the book of Acts could easily have written, when they got together they had a service, collected up the tithe, and then had a Bible study. Could easily have said that. You don't find it anywhere. And Paul, who devotes major sections of his epistles to giving, never says tithe anywhere. Never says it. You see? Two major sections, which I suggest you read, are 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, and tithing, you notice, isn't mentioned anywhere. They're the two chapters on giving. Um, they're the summit, I suppose, of the teaching on giving in the New Testament. Some should not consider giving a tithe. Let me show you a little scripture which is very important. Turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. This, may I say, does not apply to many people in our fellowship. This is dealing with a man in a destitute situation. Verse 8. Verse 8 says this, If any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That's the teaching of Scripture. This does not mean to say your family has to live in the lap of luxury, you know, with every one of your children having their own private bathroom, um, a TV in every room, a fitted carpet everywhere, on the ceiling as well. It doesn't mean that. What it means is your children and those of your household should have A, enough to eat, none of them should be undernourished, and they should have fairly decent clothes to stand in. I remember once being in a meeting where a man stood up with his whole family and he announced how wonderful it was to give to the Lord and how he always tithed. And do you know, you looked along the family and they looked emaciated. They, their clothes were just hanging off them. And I thought, what a funny spectacle this is. This man so proud that he'd given unto God, yet his family actually shouting out that God isn't a very good provider for our family. And that's all wrong. And therefore, you have to make sure that your own family is provided for. The fellowship does not have first responsibility for your family. You do. And in this day of the welfare state, let's make quite sure in our own minds that we understand that. And we must make sure, therefore, that our family is provided for. Now, if you're in that type of situation and you really find that uh, you have very little money over, then I suggest you go and see one of the elders. Sometimes the devil's robbing you. Sometimes it's because of mismanagement in your own private affairs. Go and make sure you see a leader or an elder or someone in the fellowship who looks as if God has sorted them out in this area and, and ask them to help you in your own finances. But don't ever deny your family. God wants your family provided for and enough over for the family of God to be provided for. All right, now there's the little principle. And this uh, 1 Timothy 5 verse 8 is very important. So the issue then to us is, well, how do we give? Having said it's not tithing, are there any rules or principles that we know that can help us in deciding how to give? Well, yes, there are. And before I give them, let me remind you of the three basic principles I began with last time. Last time, right? Three basic principles. Here they are. First of all, Giving is not God's way of raising money. Giving is God's way of raising his children. Right? Very important. In other words, the way that he can train you most simply is through the money in your pocket. He owns the cattle on the thousand hills. Even though he will use your giving, that's not the main way that he will provide for his own work. 
He asks you to give because it's good training for you. Secondly, let's remember everything that we have is from the Lord. Therefore, when we give back to God, it is in recognition that he has provided everything. And therefore, it's a joy to give back to him. Right? Now, that's an important principle. And I think we saw it from Psalm 24. And the third principle I laid down was this. Never give under compulsion or when emotionally stirred up. They were the three basic principles I began with last time. If you are stirred up emotionally or you're under compulsion, then the Lord isn't telling you to give. Your emotion is telling you to give or someone else is telling you to give. And to God, that's not an offering or gift. It just isn't. He wants you to give because you want to give with all your heart. Then he can do anything with that particular gift. All right, so let's see the principles of giving then as they're laid out. I'm going to list seven. The first one is this. Let's realize that when we give, we are actually investing with God. This is an important principle. Every penny you give in faith down here on this earth is actually put into a bank in heaven. And God is such a wonderful banker. He gives such a vast percentage, you wouldn't believe it. Today, most of us don't like the building societies. We have a building society manager in the congregation this morning. <laughs> most of us don't like it. We really feel that we're given a bit of a bad deal. They put the interest rates up suddenly, and they're very slow to bring them down. I'm sure there's very good reason for that. But God's not like that. Why? God's interest rate isn't 10%, you know, or 14%. I reckon it's about 10,000%. It really is. Look at this promise. Turn to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. And chapter 6, little verse you all know very well. Luke, chapter 6, and verse 38 And it doesn't say, give a tenth here, you'll notice. Jesus didn't go around saying to everyone, now give a tenth and you'll get it back. No, he just said, give. Give and it shall be given unto you. I'm not your debtor, I'm going to repay every single penny and more that you give to me. And notice what it says, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. What a marvellous thing this is. Uh, have you noticed sometimes with cereals like um, cornflakes or Special K or one of those that often you open the box and there's a vast box and it's all shaken down and you end up with three quarters of a box and you look at it and you think that's a bit funny, you know. Or hand cream, I suppose hand cream is the worst. You know, I sometimes buy my wife some hand cream and there's a big uh, sort of container and you open it up and all of a sudden there's a minute little dish in it and that's the hand cream. And you really feel a bit short-changed over this, you see. Incidentally, one of the good things about Weetabix is it doesn't settle. <laughs> I don't think anybody noticed that. It's true. It never settles. However, it settles beautifully in your stomach. But God's blessing to us is this that when we receive the blessing, why it's shaken down, it's pressed together. He's crammed as much blessing in there as he can. It's a thrilling thing. And notice what it says, shall men put in even into your arms. It's the picture is of someone trying to stagger along, like Crackerjack used to be, you know, holding all these things in their arms. And God is saying, if you give to me, I'm such a generous God, why I'll pour it back to you. Much of that is going to be in heaven, but not all of it. 
And the reason it says, shall men put into your arms, is because we will reap down here on this earth too. And we should expect that. I tell you this, I know that those of us who in faith start giving and giving and giving of ourselves, of our time, of our money, we will find we will be prospered in the most wonderful way. And there are several passages in Scripture which I don't have time to deal with this morning, which actually say, in this life you will receive the blessing. And the marvellous thing is, the non-Christians around try and get happiness in money. And do you know it doesn't work? But everything we get from the Lord, it works. And we can enjoy it richly and absolutely fully. The principle here is an agricultural one. So let's just uh, also have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now I went through this a little last time. <clears throat> in 2 Corinthians and chapter 9... Verse 6 and verse 7. And do you remember last time I actually said that in the ancient world, if you were a farmer, you actually had to decide how much seed you were going to plant and how much seed you were actually going to eat. You had to make a decision. And there was your barn absolutely full of wheat or whatever it was, and you might decide, well, I'll have a third for my family to eat this year and two-thirds is going to be planted. And the idea there was this that actually if you planted two-thirds, you'd get a massive harvest and have much more next year. But if you ate two-thirds, you'd have a much smaller harvest. And every farmer knew what this verse was about because he had to make the decision. You have to make the same decision. How much are you going to spend on yourself? And by the way, that will all be used up and you'll have nothing at the end. How much are you going to invest with God? You see? And so it says here, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. Isn't that true? Don't you know that in your own gardens? It is true. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. The next verse I'll just read. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. It doesn't say every man as is laid down in the constitution of your fellowship. Every man as the elders tell you to give. No, as you purpose in your own heart, so give. Do it delightfully. Do it hilariously and with great pleasure. And give as unto the Lord. You're not a fool if you do that. So let him give, not grudgingly, do you remember, not under emotional pressure, nor of necessity, like having a tooth out, for God loves a cheerful giver. And this principle is important. Very often, you know, God demands of us that we give, and then there is the period during which the seed is germinating and coming up. And very often people who give sort of give a fiver, and then they wait, you know, for the letters to arrive the next morning, for the 50 pounds to come through. <laughs> Or 500 if your faith is that great. And then they're all disappointed. And that's rather like planting a carrot seed and going out the next morning and saying, well, where's the carrots? <laughs> there is a time during which it has to come into fruition. And we must make sure that we don't start moving into the realms of the natural and become really money-grabbing and money-seeking in our giving. We give primarily because we love God. Nothing else, you see. By the way, those of us who are actually in the wonderful position where we have waited patiently, having given over years and years and years and years and years, and are now finding the harvest coming in. Well, people in that position find very often that they give the money away, and as soon as they give it away, it comes rushing back to them. There are people in our fellowship who are like that, believe it or not. However, generally, Christians are still going through the waiting period. But be patient. Be like a farmer. Be patient. And you will find it will come and very certainly as well. So there it is. Decide in your own heart how you should give. If you give a lot, God will bless you greatly. 
If you don't give much and you want to spend it on yourself, well, that's your own choice, but don't expect too much return as far as God is concerned. So that's the first. You are actually investing with God. The second principle we've got to know is this, that giving ought to involve a sacrifice. Giving ought to involve a sacrifice. And we don't like that. Most of us like to give in ease, you know. Well, when you've got it, you give it. Unfortunately, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says at times God will demand the ultimate sacrifice as far as you are concerned, and that is you think to yourself, well, I don't really have this money to give, but God, you're telling me to give it, so I will give it. Let's go to a scripture that actually talks about this type of principle. Turn to Mark in chapter 12. <clears throat> Mark and chapter 12, where we have, of course, the widow's mites. Incidentally, David actually said, if you remember, I will give nothing unto the Lord that has not cost me anything. Whatever I give to the Lord is going to come out of my sacrifice. That's what David actually said. And uh, you know this little story, don't you, about the widow's mite. And last time we saw in Malachi 3.8 how the treasury department was in the temple. You know, when he said, bring your tithes and offerings into my house, he was referring to the treasury of the land. It was the paying of the taxes. Now here, you have Jesus in the temple. And there was a certain court in the temple called the woman's court, or the women's court. And do you know, all around the sides of the women's court, there were trumpet-shaped receptacles. And there were 13 of them all the way around. And you used to put your money, giving to the Lord, into those receptacles. And they all had a letter on them which denoted what they were for. And you could decide where you would give your money for that particular time. And one receptacle went to one use, another went to another use. And so you used to go into the temple to give. And so you used to spread your money out. And Jesus comes along and he actually sits against the treasury. This is in the temple. Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites. Together, by the way, these add up to under one new penny. Isn't that a lovely thing? I think sometimes people who are generally poor feel, oh, well, I, w I can't afford to give. Do you know, most people can afford to give a little bit, a two-penny pen piece or something like that. But most of us are too ashamed to do it. We don't think it's right. Some of the nicest gifts I receive are when I get a, a green slip from Dennis, who collects the money for me, as you know, and, and it says uh, something like 10 pounds, 42 and a half P. And I look at that, and I always ring him up and say, what's this? And he said, well, some little child in the fellowship has been putting aside a penny a week, and they came up with 32 and a half pennies, and they handed it to me. And you know, God so blesses that little one. Actually, we use uh, our, our lack of money as an excuse not to give. Most of us can afford to give a little bit. Trouble is, we are, are dying to give 50 pounds. And some of us don't have 50 pounds. So we think, oh, well, we can't give anything. Well, that's wrong thinking. And he sees this poor widow, and she threw in two mites, there we are, which make a farthing. By the way, the word mite here is not an insect, as you might <laughs> assume. I say... I say that because my, my son's most precious items are wood lice. <laughs> and to him, giving too much really would be giving at the moment. <laughs> Verse 43, 
And Jesus says this, and he called unto him his disciples, said unto them, Verily I say unto you, and look at what he actually says, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in much more than all they which have cast into the treasury. She gave it in faith, and to God it was much more. And I've learnt this, if you will give one pound in faith, God will use it, make it up to a hundred pounds. But if you give a hundred pounds without any faith involved, and you can afford it, and you just chuck it in like that without thinking about it, to God that adds up to almost nothing, you see? And there it is, she's cast in much more. Why? Verse 44, well because it cost her something to do it. It cost her something to do it. For all they did cast in of their abundance. But she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. That's all that she had, but she so loved the Lord, she gave it. There it was. And she was responsible only for herself, and she decided to do that. I remember a time in my own life when I only had a certain amount of money which would just about cover um, the food that I was going to have for two weeks. And I had a pound of rice as well, and the Lord told me to give all of that money. I didn't have a wife, didn't have a family to look after. I gave it all to the Lord. And I lived, and it was delightful two weeks on a pound of rice. It was wonderful. I lost a great deal of weight, and that was also very good. All her living was what actually went in to that, and it really cost her something. Remember Uncle Sid, you know, catching people out? It was after Harriet had a collection, you know, and you have to put people back together again after that. And... Um, <laughs> And he stood up and he said, look, he said, I just am going to ask some people to stand up, some who want to give just a bit more. He said, there are some in the midst here who haven't really given yet. He said, no, I'm not asking for those who put 50 pounds or 100 pounds. I want the ones who put two mites in. Will you be like the widow? And he said, stand up. And he got all these people sort of standing up. He said, well, it's really wonderful to see this. And then he read this verse. She gave all her living you know, and he said, wow, he said, that's wonderful, because those who have stood, and I was one of them, may I say, it means all your living. And he then went on, and he talked most wonderfully. He said, by the way, when an offering plate goes round, actually, um, it should be impossible to take a collection on one, simply because we can't all fit on it. And what we've got to do is make sure when we give, we give of our very selves unto the Lord. All right, to show you then the sacrifice in another way, can we turn to Philippians and chapter 4? Philippians and chapter 4. And this is one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. Verse 18 and 19, but can we read verse 19 first? This is a verse which you probably have quoted many, many times to the Lord and probably quoted it wrongly. Verse 19 of Philippians chapter 4. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Great stuff. My God's going to supply all my need. Wow. Fantastic. Have it written up in your house, you know, over the gas meter. <laughs> written up. There it is. The trouble is, they forget verse 18. Verse 19 comes after verse 18. Look what he's saying. He's talking to the Philippian church and this is what he says. But I have all and abound, he says. I'm full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odour of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. See that? And what he's saying is, look you Philippians, you've given until it's hurt you unto me. He says, then I have no doubt my God will supply all your need. 
And it's not a question, you know, of just claiming this little verse 19 when you're sitting there squandering all your money on yourself, wanting all the luxuries under the world, and really acting foolishly with your money. God is a very wise investor, you know. He doesn't put good money after bad. He never will. Here it says, if you are faithful in your giving, my God will supply all your need. You may have to wait for it, but it is surely going to come. So the second principle is, number two, um, sacrifice. The third principle is this, beware wishfulness. Beware wishfulness. And what I mean by this is this. Some people sort of say, oh, if I was rich... I give such a lot. You wouldn't, you know. That's what the Bible says. Oh, hooey on that. No, honestly, you wouldn't. Let me show you um, uh, where it actually talks about this. Go to Luke chapter 16. And this is why that's nonsense. And I hope people here are not deceived about this in terms of their giving. I hear some people who say, oh, Roger, I'm asking God that I might win the pools. By the way, I think God might very well supply people's needs by winning the pools. And then I say, oh, really, why? Oh, so I can give to God. I've told God that he'll have 50% if I win the pools. And God looks at them and says, it's not worth it. You know, it's really not worth it. Have them out of fellowship for the rest of their lives, living like that, squandering the money. Oh, no. The man, actually, who is faithful in giving is the man who says, well, Lord, if I win the pools and win a million pounds, I promise I'll give you a million and ten pounds. That's the man who's faithful in giving. But we're all filled with this wishfulness, aren't we? You know, oh, well, we can't give anything now. But, of course, if we were rich, then we'd give. We really would. No, you wouldn't. Verse 10. Here it is. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. In other words, it's the little things that prove how faithful you are in the bigger things. And if you're not even faithful, though you've only got £20 to deal with, you're never going to be faithful with £200,000. Honestly, you won't. You think you are, but it's not true. It really isn't. And then it says, And he that is unjust in the least is also unjust uh, in much. I love the little story which was told of a preacher who had a farmer in his congregation. The farmer wasn't very rich. He just owned a few little bits and pieces. But he never gave to the work of the Lord. So one day, the preacher went out to see him and said, uh, Brother, uh, can I just see you? And he said, Oh, good morning, sir. Yes, you can, you can talk to me. And uh, the, the preacher went up to him and said, If you had a thousand pounds, would you give five hundred pounds to the Lord? I really would, said the farmer. Yes, I really would. Oh, if I had a thousand pounds, I'll tell you, you'll be the first person to hear from me. And then the man said, I see. And if you had a hundred head of cattle... Uh, would you give 50 to the Lord? 100 head of cattle, 50 would be yours the next morning. They'd be straight round. If you had 20 head of sheep, would you give 10 to the Lord? I really would. And then the preacher said, if you had two pigs, would you give one of them to the Lord? And there was silence. <laughs> and the preacher said, well, would you? He said, well, that's unfair. And the preacher said, why? Well, I've got two pigs. <laughs> was his answer. And I think, that's, I think that's exactly what I'm saying. Don't ever be wishful. Look, God actually 
sees your heart clearer than you do. And that sometimes there's tremendous depth of evil within our own hearts. And we do not give out of the little, but we really do imagine that we're going to be faithful in the much. It's nonsense and it's not true and it contradicts this particular verse. So beware, please, of wishfulness. Okay? Number four, if you're not faithful in the little things, you'll never have spiritual authority of any sort. If you're not faithful in that little bit that you have now, you'll never be faithful in anything. I just praise God, you know, that I learnt about giving when I was a poor old student trying to manage on £66 per term. I was very, very happy that I learnt uh, how to give then in those circumstances because I cut my teeth, to use the American expression, on £66 a month, uh, 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 sorry, a term, which was 10 weeks. And I really learnt how to apportion and use my money so carefully that I had money to give at the end. And I'll tell you, the greatest delight of all was when I could give a pound to someone. Only a little bit, but it was one sixty-sixth of my total, you know. And I was really thrilled about that. And then I would so use my money so that I might have something else over as well to give. And sometimes I'm very blessed when I see housewives in our own fellowship and they're given their housekeeping and I see them really ploughing their efforts in to have something over at the end, either for the family, of course, or sometimes for the work of the Lord. I see it in my, the life of my own wife, of course, when sometimes she'll get an envelope and put a pound in or 50p or something and lick it down and put it in one of the boxes at the back. And I know that that, to the Lord, is worth much more than my giving a larger amount because it's come out of a little amount. You see, I won't tell you how much, but uh, a little amount. <laughs> so look at verse 11 of Luke 16. And here it is. And those of you who long to be men of God and long to do work for the Lord, money, 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 money is the thing God will point out first of all, probably. Verse 11. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And I've seen sometimes poor people in our fellowship get a little bit of money and it's all blown on themselves. I have known some incredible situations. I could make your hair curl. I could put every hairdresser out of business in this town of ours by telling you some of the stories. People who are up to their eyes in debt, up to their eyes owing other Christians money, who get a little bit of money and out they go and buy a new, brand new record player or something like that. That is unfaithfulness in terms of the Lord's supply. It's all wrong. And we've got to start being faithful. And that which is least is unrighteous mammon, what you own and what you have in your pocket in terms of money. If you are unfaithful in those, well, who is going to commit unto you the true riches, i.e. spiritual authority. You'll never find a Bible teacher, not a real Bible teacher, who isn't sorted out in money. You'll never find it. And I find the majority of ministers, not all, I can think of one or two exceptions, who actually are excellent over money. The majority of them are really sorted out in terms of money. Even some who don't seem to be, but they are in their own personal lives. Verse 12, If you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? And by the way, how do you find out whether a man is faithful? Say I have got £10,000 and I don't know whether I should leave you to deal with it. How will I know? Well, I'm going to give you £50 and see how you deal with that. And if you're unfaithful in the £50, you're certainly not getting your hands on the rest. I'll tell you that. God's just the same. And he's looking at the little you've got to see how faithful you are with that. All right. 
Uh, that's number four then. Number five is this. You decide. God does not impose upon you at all how much you should give. You must make a free will decision. And may I tell you this, the amount can vary from month to month to month to month. There is a constant variation, or should be, because you've got to go to the Lord and ask the Lord yourself, Lord, how much should I give now? Again, let's go to Luke, Luke 19, and verse 8. Verse 8, and here's Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. He gave 50%. And he, by the way, was an Old Testament saint. Half of his goods. Jesus didn't turn around to him and say, Oh, Zacchaeus, wrong teaching. 10% is all you've got to give. <laughs> didn't say it. He was delighted that this man had decided, Look, I give half of my goods to the, the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. If I've done any man out of anything, why, it's a fourfold return that I get. He's scrupulous in these things. And so we have got to decide. And, and what I do is this. I ask the Lord specifically how much I should give, and I ask him to make me constantly open to any needs that I see around. I'll come on to that in just a moment. And sometimes the Lord says, give so much. If I don't hear from the Lord, then I have a fixed percentage, which I always give. And I think it's a very good system to have, that you ask the Lord, how much should I give? And if you hear nothing, then God is just saying, well, it's up to you. And I have a fixed percentage. Some people, it's 8%, some 5%, some 10%. Yes, that's all right. 15%, 20%, 50%. Whatever it is, you decide. And I get my money in fits and starts during the month, in little bits during the month, you see. And always I ask God, how much of this should I give and where should I give it, Lord? If I hear nothing, then I automatically give a certain percentage generally to the general fund or someone in need around. That is the type of way that I go. And those of you who are covenanting uh, under a covenant system, then in fact it's that percentage that you should have covenanted. But of course God then can ask you to give on top of that. So five, you decide the amount. Six, regularly. And five and six go together. You decide the amount and you ought to do this regularly. Most of us are so indisciplined that in fact, um, if we don't do it regularly, it tends to slip out of our grasp. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians and chapter 16. And verse 1 and 2. And this is what Paul says, and notice again, no mention of tithing anywhere here. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let Every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Right? 
And it's quite simply, he's saying, do this regularly. On the first day of every week, whatever that means, you may have your own opinion of what it is. Generally, I think it's this. If you're paid weekly, do it once a week. If you're paid monthly, do it once a month. If you're paid yearly, do it once a year. But whatever you do, make sure it's done with regularity and ask the Lord specifically in that moment what you should do with your money. All right, so the sixth is regularity. The last point then is quite important, and it's this, collections. There are times when it is right to give to a specific need. We don't do this often in our fellowship, but we've got to do it a bit more often. And that is when we hear of a specific need to actually say, in three weeks' time, we're having a collection for such and such. In the early church, they had no scruples about money. Right? It was not an obscene, taboo subject. They used to talk about it. And you know, the, the poorest church was the church in Jerusalem. And there, as I've explained, I think, in some of my earlier tapes, they had all these people coming in to Jerusalem who were getting saved by the thousand. And many of them were destitute. They had to provide. And the poor saints in Jerusalem didn't have enough money. So everywhere Paul went, to every church, he said, by the way, um, before I come, have a gathering up for the church in Jerusalem. They're in real need out there. I'll collect it when I come. And if I can't come, I'll send one, someone else for it. See how liberated they were in these things. Here was a specific need, and they met the need that they saw. And very often in our lives, we will come across someone in need. Who is your neighbor, by the way? Your neighbor is the person in need that you come across. Who is the good neighbor, Jesus asked. Well, the good neighbor is the one who sees someone in need, and if they can, they will supply. This happens to Ros and I very frequently. I remember once I came back from a conference, and I'd been given 78 pounds cash in hand, you know. So I arrived home, I just put it on the side. I was going to give it to Dennis or pay it in myself, and it was just on the side. And then we had to minister to a couple in the fellowship, I won't tell you whether they're here or not this morning. But I, I didn't know what the problem was, and we went in the other room, and we prayed with them, and then they said, well, we have another problem. We're 78 pounds overdrawn at the bank. <laughs> and you see, I was stuck. You see? So I thought, oh, this is just coincidence, you know? My wife said, um, can, I, can we have a little word in the other room? And we went through into the breakfast room, and she said, it's not a coincidence, you know. I mean, they're in need, 78 pounds. We've got 78 pounds. I said, well, I'll pray about it. <laughs> you see? Because, you see, we had a bill coming in next week, you see, and I thought it might be about 78 pounds. I was rejoicing it was my provision. Well, in fact, it was their provision through me. And, of course, I knew it was wrong, so I actually said to Roz, no, you're absolutely right, this is uh, the Lord's provision. So we took the envelope and we said, isn't the Lord good to you? And we handed the money straight, straight <laughs> over to them. And sometimes you will find yourself in that situation. And all of us have got to be open to supplying um, various needs as we see them come up. There are particular needs. By the way, that's the general fund in our fellowship is the most important of the funds, uh, in terms of the fellowship life as a whole. Because it's in, from that that we provide for the poor in the fellowship. Generally speaking, uh, it's the fellowship as a whole that knows who the poor are better than anyone else. See, some poor are poor because of their wrong use of money. Now, we don't provide for those at all. Provide for a little time, but we give them training. 
But the real poor are the ones who have to be provided for. And through the funds, that they can be provided for, or loans can sometimes be made to other people who are in need. But there are other things as well that are important. Go to Galatians 6.6, 6, and I can read this with complete freedom because I am a, one of the blessed Bible teachers who has a group of people who so love the Word of God that they do supply for Bible teachers. So Galatians 6.6 6 is one of the ways, specifically one of the needs that has to be met. Galatians 6.6, 6, let him that is taught in the Word, they're the people receiving Bible teaching, communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. In all good things, let him do it. You see? And I can read that out because, of course, I am well provided for. Being a good Bible teacher takes many, many hours of, of back-breaking slog. And, of course, the Word of God, which lives and abides forever, is really the key of our faith. That's where the real fight is. So Bible teachers ought to be the ones who are given the prominence, you know, in our prayers and in our support. But I know many wonderful men of God who ought to be full-time Bible teachers standing up for the truth in God's Word and, you know, they're working in ordinary jobs that anyone could do. Yet they're called men. Do you know why? Because the people they go to say they love the Word of God, but they don't love it that much. Not really. And so I know some Bible teachers who are on the tapes and are very keen. They have a little library because they can't afford any books, you know. And they really have to work and work and work at other jobs when they ought to be out writing articles defending the faith. It's all wrong as far as uh, the work of the Lord is con concerned. Uh, and 1 Timothy 6 shows us another one. I'm going to read uh, 1 Timothy 6. One Timothy five. That's right. Beg your pardon. I know this verse so well. I can hardly believe that I went to the wrong chapter. One Timothy five eighteen, and I'm going to read verse seventeen because it's a good one. It's all good, of course. This is a very good one. Verse seventeen: Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honour. There it is. Especially they who labour in the word and doctrine. Just throw that out. Uh, this says that elders that rule well should receive double honour. By the way, what about those elders who don't rule well? Well, they only receive single honour. I generally find money and authority are the two things that show up where, what a Christian's at, really. And there are some who really, money's the big touchy issue. There are others, authority. There are some people who don't like authority, do you see? Well, elders that rule badly should only be given single honour. Not because they're such great men either, but because God has called them to that particular purpose. And that's what the word of the Lord actually says. Some people think elders are punch bags. You know, you let them have it, boy. Well, in this fellowship, they soon find that's not the case. That's, they're not the punch bags. And many, many elders actually have nervous breakdowns because of the way they're treated by the saints of God. It doesn't happen in this fellowship and will not happen in this fellowship. Uh, the, you know, although the elders are servants to wait on people, God has called them to their position, and they are to be honoured. But the next verse, verse 18, For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the labourer is worthy of his reward. And here it was an abomination to God if while an ox was treading the corn, you muzzled him. He, God couldn't bear it. He said, no, if he's working hard, he should actually be given that uh, from the work that he is doing. 
And here, I suppose this would refer to any full-time person we have in the midst. If ever uh, we have full-time people who are looking after the poor, helping those in need, then it is our bounden duty to support them. This is a specific need. Without them, there are the poor in the fellowship who are going to be neglected. And so a labourer then is worthy of his reward. Can I tell you my dream for our fellowship and my faith? That we should have no one in need in our fellowship. No one with an overdraft. Oh, wretched overdrafts. That's my prayer. That all of us are so sorted out in our finances that, and we as a fellowship are so good at helping one another you know, through the funds, through any collections that we have, that no one in our need ever has to be beholden or a servant of the bank manager ever again. And I've received that in my faith for our fellowship. I would ask you, please, join me in faith for that day. We're not there yet, but I'm believing. I'm not going to say that you're all going to have £10,000 in the bank, but you will have enough so that you don't go into the red at all. That is my belief for us as a fellowship. So there then are seven points which help us decide how much we ought to give. There's liberty in this, total freedom and liberty. But remember, one day you will give an account. Not in front of me, not in front of the fellowship here, hallelujah. You will stand before the Lord and give an account of what you've done. Every one of you. Therefore, it's important that you really understand the principles that are involved. If you don't tithe, that doesn't mean to say you shouldn't give. In fact, it generally means you should give more than a tithe. That's the general principle as far as God is concerned. All right. My closing remarks are these. It's a wonderful thing to have a fellowship which gives from free will. First of all, because they give in faith, so that when you receive money from them, you receive their faith as well. That's wonderful. You can do anything with those two things. But secondly, it's wonderful to have a group like this because if God wants to close us, he can any time. Isn't that a thrill? There are many, many churches today who have a sort of strict tithing system and you know it's very hard to shut them down. And I sometimes get complaints from people because the chap at the front is on an absolutely fixed income, you know, fixed in terms that every person is giving a certain amount and it all comes to him. And very often these people relax. They don't have to reach out in faith anymore. I praise God that I have to reach out in faith for my provision. And I praise God that Brad has to do the same. Praise God. Has to reach out in faith. And the people who run the general fund, I'll tell you, how they ever have time to get off their knees, I don't know. They're always having to reach out in faith. The tapes were the same and still are. We still plough a lot of uh, prayer into those and the other funds are the same. You know, the the building fund is the same. It's by faith that we receive money for these things. Well, it's thrilling that God can close us down. And this is the reason, incidentally, when we started sending out the basic Bible study tapes, we sent them out free of charge, trusting in God that he would supply. Because if ever error comes into them in any way, I want God to be able to shut the whole thing down. And I know Keith, and certainly myself, if God ever says close it, we'll close it tomorrow. Praise God, because we've seen his provision. Wonderful. The Tates is absolutely the most successful fund we have in the fellowship. It receives so much money from outside the fellowship, it's incredible. Keith's problem is deciding where the money should go. Isn't that a marvellous thing? Praise God. That's how all of us must learn to live. If your money is not sorted out, you are not sorted out. 
Therefore, can I ask people here, if you have trouble in your financial situation or you do not know how to give as you ought to give, after praying about these things, will you contact someone so that we can give you extra advice? Never let it be said that through the lack of generosity in, people, in Christians' heart, the whole work of the Lord was held up. God's got things to do and the church has a task before it. He's going to supply through us. God bless you all. Amen.